You're listening to Cross Section, the podcast of the Summit View Church of Christ. Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord. Kevin is not feeling up to par in the last few days, and so I'm glad to fill in for him. Hope that as you listen to the scripture reading this morning, and as you looked in the bulletin and saw the title, that you have a pretty good idea of what our text is going to be about. It's a very familiar passage, the parable of the sower. And yet I think we can bring out of it some things that will be helpful to our own lives and in the situation that we find ourselves in, perhaps it is very relevant. Before we look at the text itself, in Matthew 13, verse 18 through 12, or 8 through 12, I'd like for you to be with me to lay down a couple of uh, foundations, if you please. One is in chapter 13, verse 44 through 46. There are two very small parables there. One is about a man who uh, finds in a field a treasure, and he recognizes this treasure uh, is of value, and so he sells everything he has by the field so that he can have the treasure. The second parable takes up two verses. It's about a man who is a pearl merchant, and he has been searching and searching and searching for just that right pearl, that very special pearl. For him, the pearl of great price. And finally, of all things, he finds it. And he goes and sells everything he has to buy that pearl. That means that he does not expect to find anything more valuable than what he has already found. And so out of those two parables, I would like for us to keep this in mind, the recognition of worth, the recognition of worth. It's going to play a very big part in our study of the parable of the sower, the recognition of worth. It's an individual thing, and the parable is about individuals. The second part of our foundation comes in the fact that of the seven parables in Acts 13, or in Matthew 13, each one of them begins the kingdom of heaven. And so we wanna just take note for a moment about what that means, since it's repeated at the beginning of each of the parables. And so I'd like for you to turn with me over to the book of Luke, to the 17th chapter. And again, it will be Jesus that is speaking. In the 17th chapter, come down to verse 20 and 21. Now we're interested in what the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is. He has been discussing with the Pharisees And they want him to tell them what is the sign for the coming of this kingdom that you talk about. And so in verse 20 and 21, now having been questioned by the Pharisees as to when the kingdom of God was coming, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there it is, for behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. And there is another way of putting that. 
the kingdom of God is within you. Now keep that in mind as we go back to Matthew, the 13th chapter, and begin to draw out of this parable, not only Jesus' teaching, but an explanation that will help us in our own lives. I'm going to take it a verse at a time, simply because it's so familiar that I'll not read the entire thing all by itself. But read with me verses 18 and 19. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown, now watch it, in his heart, in his heart. Remember Luke and Jesus' statement that the kingdom of heaven is in your heart. It comes into your heart. It's not a here or there kind of thing. So it comes into your heart. This is the one on whom seed was sown beside the road. There are two pro three problems in this little verse. Number one, the lack of understanding. Whether this is the lack of understanding that I'm hiding behind so that I can safely say, I don't understand what it's all about. Or if he's honest and he really doesn't understand, then there are helps that will help to understand. The second problem is that the heart has no holding power. This heart is just kind of there, gradually pumping along, but that's about all. And I say that simply because the third point is that the evil one comes and snatches it away. Perhaps you've been in a situation, perhaps in a grocery store, and a lady puts her uh, purse in a cart, and she's strolling along and she's looking back, and someone takes the opportunity to snatch away that purse, to snatch away because her eyes are taken off of it. That's what I see in this situation. This heart can pump blood, but this heart doesn't have any depth. And so the word just lies there, waiting for the evil one to come along and snatch it away. I checked a number of, of different uh, translations and was a little bit surprised to find they all pretty much use that word, snatch away. There is something secret about it. There's something that says, I have missed my responsibility. And so in those three things, we find that the problem is threefold. First of all, the lack of understanding. Secondly, the kind of heart that just allows the word to lie there and not grow. And finally, the opportunity for Satan to snatch it away. A little bit later on, in Luke 22 and verse 31, Jesus warns Peter, Peter, Satan has desired to have you that he can sift you like wheat. I've prayed that your faith may not fail. Later on, much later on, Peter will write his first letter 
to the dispersed. And in that letter, he will warn them in 1 Peter chapter 5. He will warn them, the devil as an adversary walketh about seeking someone to devour. And now watch, be strong in your faith. That's exactly what Jesus told him as he said that Satan wanted to sift him like wheat. Be strong in your faith. And so when we look at this situation of verse 19, it's quite obvious that there are things that could have been done. The individual in Jesus' explanation has no excuse for not understanding. I love a passage over in 1 Corinthians that tells the Corinthians to hang on to the purity and simplicity which belongs to Christ. It's understandable. Paul wrote the Ephesian, said when he received revelation, he wrote it down, and you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. So there's no situation here that can't be overcome. So far as the human heart is concerned, it's up to you and I to make it soft, to make it pliable, so that when the word goes out, the word finds a place to grow, and grow it must. But then I want to come to, I think, the saddest part of Jesus' explanation. It comes in verse 20 and 21. In these two verses, listen and see if you can see the sadness that I feel in this verse. The one on whom seed was sown on the rocky place. This is the man who receives the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arise because of the word, immediately he falls away. What's the tragedy here? The joy that he felt and the falling away. I have watched a number of people come up out of the baptistry with a great smile on their face. I've talked to an abundance of people of all ages who rejoice in what they have in the church, in Christian friends, and just being a Christian. This individual was filled with joy. And joy is a very special thing. Joy exists in the human heart where the kingdom of God should find a place. And so in this situation, because he has no firm root in himself, and then that's that terrible word, he's temporary. He's temporary. That means no matter what comes up that could bring him joy, it's not gonna last. It's only for a moment, and then it's gone. And he's back down in the doldrums. He's fallen away again. It can happen in marriages. It can happen in relationships. But when it happens to between you and Christ, it's a tragedy. And so the solution to this, if there is a solution, is found in Colossians 
couple of weeks ago, I preached through the book of Colossians, following the line of thanksgiving, thanks, and gratitude. So turn over to the book of Colossians for a moment and come to Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Now, in our parable, this individual has no firm root in himself. He's only temporary. Listen to what Paul wrote, the Colossians, verses 6 and 7. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. How do we go about being firmly rooted? I think this is a part of it. A part of it is our opening our Bibles in our homes. A part of it is recognizing what we have with gratitude. A moment ago, we sang a number of songs about Christ's love for us. How about our love for Christ? And so when we look at Colossians 2, 6, and 7, that's exactly what the individual needed who had no firm root in himself, but was only temporary. He could have that joy. You can have that joy. It's an ongoing thing. It doesn't leave you. It doesn't fade away. I've been in the church since I was 12 years old, and I'm 83 now. And the church means as much to me as it ever did. You mean as much to me and any Christian that I have come across all through my time. And perhaps you can say the very same thing. That's a part of being rooted and full of gratitude. And that's what was needed with this individual. It wasn't that he dismissed it. It wasn't that he didn't care. It was, as the passage goes, that he just let affliction and persecution come in and destroy his joy. You know, it's a tragic thing for anything to destroy joy. But he let things that he could close the door on. The church went through great persecution when Colossians was being written. In fact, the writer was in a Roman prison at the time. And yet it came out so strong that ultimately the Roman Empire bowed to its will. Constantine, in the 300s, became a Christian. His mother, a devout Christian. They couldn't beat him, and so they joined him. The joy that is lost here is a tragedy. But then there is one more that we want to take note of. And so if you'll come back to Matthew 13, let's read verse 22. See if you spot the problem in verse 22. The one on whom seed was sown among the thorns. This is the man who hears the word, the worries of the world, the deceitfulness of wealth, choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. Choke the word. These weeds, these briars, these 
thorns choke it. What's the solution? The solution lies before the choking can come. Before the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, before those things come along, something's got to be done. And so as we try and find a solution for this part of the parable, I want to give you two solutions, one from the Apostle Paul and one from the Apostle Peter. The Apostle Paul's answer to the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches comes to me in Romans chapter 8, verse 35 through 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? And you can add to the list. And then Paul goes on and says, no, in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer. For I am persuaded that neither life nor death, nor angels nor principalities, nor things present, nor height, nor depth, or any other created thing can separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. No man suffered more. No man gave up his riches become dependent upon the churches for his well-being. And the Apostle Peter, who was sometimes kind of weak, had his own explanation for how you keep going. Come over to first, second Peter, pardon me, first Peter chapter one. Look at verses three through five with me. This is his solution to keeping the thorns away. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last times. Peter wrote that at the close of his life. He had seen the persecution hurt the church. He had seen Saul of Tarsus become a preacher of the gospel known as Paul. He'd seen it all, but there was something within Peter that held him within the church. And there it is in his writings in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 through 5. Perhaps when the world comes crowding in upon us, we need desperately to turn to Paul's explanation or to Peter's explanation and keep the thorns away. Don't let them choke out the word. Come back now to our text of Matthew 13. There is one more, and it's a positive. 
It's interesting that Jesus always had the positive, whether it was in the two little verses that we began with that show the importance of recognizing worth, or it's that the kingdom of heaven is so clearly he establishes it is in you. It's not seen. The church is seen. It's visible. But the kingdom of heaven, of which the church is a part, is not seen. It's invisible. It's within us. But the last verse that we're going to look at is verse 23. The one on whom seed was sown on the good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. I want to reverse the order of that just for a passage that we're going to look at in just a minute. Supposing he said it's going to grow from 30 to 60 to 100. I've known a lot of Christians who are worried that they're not doing enough, that they're not faithful because they're not busy all the time. I've heard preachers preach that unless you're really busy, this passage is not for you. In fact, it condemns you. 30, 60, 100, you've got to get busy. But I want you to read with me a most involved and enlightening passage of Scripture coming from an inspired writer of the New Testament that will explain to us exactly what it means in that last verse that we just read. Come over to 2 Peter chapter 1. And this is a passage that if you ever feel like you're not adequate, you ought to keep in your mind. Speaking, reading from the New American Standard, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything that pertains to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promise, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world by, by lust. Now for this very reason, now watch carefully. Now for this very reason also, apply all diligence. In your faith, supply moral excellence. In your moral excellence, knowledge. In your knowledge, self-control. In your self-control, perseverance. In your perseverance, godliness. In your godliness, brotherly kindness. In your brotherly kindness, love. Now watch and listen carefully. If these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now I want you to notice the word increasing and go back to Jesus' explanation. 30-fold, 60-fold, that's a growth process, isn't it? He simply reverses it, but it's a growth process. 
when Peter gives us these seven things that are sometimes called the seven Christian virtues, he simply says, these qualities are increasing. They render you neither fruitless. If you look at the seven, you will discover that in reality, what they do is prepare you in your mind and in your heart for a lot of different kinds of work. We ought to feel good about our Christianity. We ought to be, feel good about our faith, about the church, about the kingdom of God, which can dwell within the soft human heart. Peter has given his people a wonderful, wonderful thing in that he has outlined for them seven simple things to work on. And as these things progress from 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold, you should feel the comfort that comes from knowing by the grace of God we're all saved. How does Jesus' words in Matthew's account end? In Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. He has been to the cross. He has been resurrected. And so as we come to a conclusion of our lesson, he says, I, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. The parable of the sower is about us. It's about the excuse of not understanding, the excuse of I don't see the value, Multitudes are turning away from Christianity because they don't see the value. There's something wrong with a society that sees more value in a computer than in the blood of the Son of God. Something wrong with our thinking. But hopefully, we understand. And as for that individual, who has the thorns to deal with. Take Paul's statement in Romans 8. Take Peter's in 1 Peter 1. What they needed at that time was a strong faith. And as the two little parables started all of this, so we need to keep it in mind. That is, that we recognize the value. If you're in the church 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 30 years from now, it will be because you recognize the value. You recognize the value. Sad. We sometimes miss what we have because we don't recognize the value.
you're here this morning and there's some way that we can help you. Help you in your weak faith. Help you in the heart that just lays there and lets the evil one come and snatch it away. We would like to pray with you. We'd like to help you to understand more fully. You know, Jesus' last words in Matthew's account, teach them to observe all that I commanded you. It takes a lifetime. We're here for each other. If we can help you, would you come while we stand in the same invitation song?